Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. On this podcast, we've got a very different edition for you. Once a month, I bring an inspiring group of people into my office in Worcester to share the boardroom with me where I mentor the group of students on how they can start their own property business from the ground upwards. And as part of that program, we bring in industry experts every month to talk about their specific uh, field of expertise. So on this podcast, we are sharing with you Andy Haynes from Bradley Haynes Law. And Andy's come along to talk about legal documentation and how important that is when you are setting up your property business. So I hope you enjoy it, folks. And without further ado, here's Andy. We've got Andy here with us now, and Andy and I have known each other for quite a long time, and Andy was the first person that I actually saw on the very first PIN meeting I ever went to, which was Worcester PIN, when it was back in the, um, behind the rugby club, I know they've moved now, and Andy has been a very much a strong part of what we've done, supported Lorraine and I all the way across our property journey. He also hosts webinars that I do um, when we talk about our online mentoring programs and stuff, but Andy is also... A, um, a partner in a law firm called Bradley Haynes Law. So he's come along today to talk to you about that aspect and how potentially Bradley Haynes might be able to help you with your property business moving forward. So we can have a lovely, warm welcome for Andy, please. Thank you, Rick. Lovely welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you uh, for being here too. I've put a business card on your desk. I hope that's okay. The first thing I want to say though is that it's interesting. The phone number on my business card will be different to the phone number that we've got on our banner just at the back there. And I want to just explain why that will be because some people think, oh, there's obviously an error. There's a problem. We use tracking numbers. We want to know which bits of our marketing will work. And this is a useful thing for you as well. When you go out there with your newspaper adverts or your leaflets, or maybe doing Facebook stuff, or maybe you're doing, I don't postcards or you know websites all of those things we use a different number on each of them to make sure that we know which bit of our marketing is working for us so it's a very useful ex exercise because we always ask people where did you find out from us lots of people recommend us just let me know how you found us and people will say so I've had people say oh I found you on the telly oh, well, I've never had adverts on the telly you know so I know that's not true but I still write oh thank you you know on the telly I just write that down you know but then we use our tracking I get a report every every week it comes through saying that these numbers have been called so I know that maybe it's this post that's worked or maybe it's the business card or maybe it's my leaflet and there might be different leaflets will have different numbers on them. So I'm just trying to point out why you might think there's an error. There isn't an error, it's just so we know where you've come from, if that's okay. But it's quite an interesting background I've got here because like you, I'm a property investor through and through. My past was working for the BBC. It was a day job I had. I loved being at the BBC. Every day was a different breaking news story, cut and thrust and all those things. For me, getting involved in property was because I wanted to top up my pension. I had a great pension also, I thought, at the BBC. I was putting into it as much as I could possibly afford every month. But you, just like me, I'm sure, you know, we got things happen, we got mortgages, we've got bills, we got kids, we got the dog, we got the home, and then something breaks down, you have to fix it, and then the car, and, you know, all this stuff. I just couldn't afford to put 
into my pension, what I needed to put in, but I was obviously putting money into it every single month. It's when I went to the IFA to say, how much can I afford to retire on at the age of 65, which is what it was when I first started. I think it's now 75, isn't it? But at 65, which it was then, he said, Andy, you'll have to live off a tin of beans on toast every day. And I was thinking, well, I didn't want that. I didn't want to get into it. And this is where property came in for me, because property to me, if I can have this hobby, that is property investing, that gives me an income every single month, residual income from looking after my tenants well, that would top up my pension. But like you, I decided to take it seriously. If I stopped it being a hobby, and I actually made it into a proper business, I could get to where I wanted to be. And that's exactly what my wife and I, Karen and I did. And that's where we met up with Lorraine and Rick. We've known each other now for a long, long time. And I like to support Rick, he's great to us as well, you know, in everything that we're doing, because in property, that's what the network will, will do for you in your own individual business, but you're part of a much wider support group like you've got here with New Era Training and Rick and Lorraine. And that's what you need to sort of really value because it really will take you on, on to the next level. So the interesting thing happened was that my property investing enabled me to give up my BBC job. Now I didn't want to give it up, but it's amazing what it does when you've got enough money coming in from your property to replace your day job. As much as I loved that job, it was a job. And I spent more time with the boss, my best hours of the day with the boss, and I gave the rubbishy hours when I was tired and I was a bit down and all that stuff, which I gave to my family. And I decided to turn that on its head, give the best time to my family, and then maybe if I do stuff for the BBC, which I still do from time to time, Time, then they're getting the sort of cast off bits rather than the other way around. And maybe that will inspire you too. And then the thing I didn't see was then because I've got all this free time, what am I going to do with it? And so I spent a lot of time coming and meeting people just, just like you. But one of them was that I found there wasn't that many good solicitors out there. I don't mean to say the solicitors are, aren't good, but they don't necessarily understand what we want as property people. They think they understand what we want, but they've not been this kind of through, through this kind of training. So what I did was I decided that I would connect with uh, a guy called Andrew Bradley. And Andrew Bradley, I just, oh, there she is coming up now. So that's me on the side there. I met up with Andrew Bradley. He's a qualified solicitor. He's the, the, the chairman and managing director of our company. And I went to Andrew to get all of my solicitor work done. I was a property person and it was great because he understood it. We had lots of beers and where I talk, talk, talked him through every stage of what we were wanting to do. And this guy just got it. He was very commercial. And in the end, I said to him, look, why don't we get together and maybe we could form a company. And so we we formed Bradley Haynes Law, uh, hence obviously there's a clue in, in the title. So he does all of the solicitor work and I'm just in the property work there which I can help people just like you to say actually you know if we can help, help you by all means come and speak with us. But the important thing we understand the language. So when you're talking about property options, you're talking about rent to rent agreements, you're talking about JV agreements, you're talking about all those things, buying selling of houses, you know all that stuff we will un understand it. Whether we can help you or not it's a different thing because not every solicitor will be on absolutely every every lenders panel. That just couldn't happen. There's so many lenders out there. But we try to be on all the main portals so we can help you in many ways. But you know, there's advice that we can give you. And by all means, you've got my card if you want to email with me or something. Um, that has actually, if it hasn't got my number on there, welcome to have my personal mobile number if Rick's okay with that. And I will happily sort of help and support you on some text support that, you know, on sort of some legal things. But just to be clear, I'm not a lawyer. Andrew's the lawyer. We now employ a great team of lawyers out there. My role is being just like you, the property investor, and I understand a lot of what happens within the law. I can then direct you to the right person to give the right help and advice. So that's a little bit of the background as to how we set up where we are. So 
Let me just talk then, if I can, um, and give you a little bit more background. I want to leave some time at the end for questions, if that's okay. But it's important that you have the right power team. And by way of a power team, you need to have people who are on your team that become a bit of a friend. They know you, you know them. And by being honest with each other, then you can actually grow a property portfolio in, in a safer, faster, better way. I think. It's a bit like going to the doctor where you're a little bit embarrassed about what you're going to them. You sort of get there and you bottle out and say, oh, I've got a pain in my arm. But really the pain is in your leg. You know, he's going to fix your arm and it's not necessarily going to fix the leg. You've got to have that right relationship with your estate agent, your mortgage broker in particular. You need it with your solicitor and any of the lenders that are out there as well. It sort of really is sort of a family um, love type scenario. And I just want to talk a little bit about that, if that's okay, because I think you have to be absolutely honest with your mortgage broker, and he will be absolutely honest with the lender. You need to be very honest with your solicitor as well, but you need to be a little bit careful what you say to your solicitor. Now, I, I just to be clear, you always tell the truth to your solicitor. Let's just be very clear. I'm not suggesting you, you do anything wrong because you can't do fraud, fraudulent things. That is absolutely wrong. But you need to be a little bit careful because things that we say, we don't mean to say. The trouble is because you've said it, they have to go along with it. Okay, it's a little bit like, and if I can just go to an e extreme, I hope it's okay. Maybe if you're going on a flight, and if you're in the joke, in, in jokingly in the lines, or someone say, "Oh, you know, I hope they don't spot my, my bomb in my bag or something like that," you will be carted away. Forget the fact it was a joke. They will whisk you away. They'll take you very seriously, saying you are a, a terrorist until they've proven that, that you're not. Now, you meant this little throwaway thing because that's what happens at the airports. We all do those things. That's the bit I'm talking about here. So with your solicitor, if you start to make a little bit of a joke of something, they have to take it on face value what you've said. You can't say, oh, but it was a joke. You know, it was a bit of sarcasm. That doesn't work. They listen to what you say. They've got a duty of care to you, but they've also got a duty of care to the lender. So be a little bit careful. So be very truthful, but don't try and be funny because they have to take it. So um, as an example, a lot of us buy through a limited company today. I'm sure Rick and Lorraine have explained why we do that for tax reasons. And one of the things about buying through a limited company is that each of the directors needs to get a director's guarantee if you're having a mortgage. And so you will need to speak to a solicitor in turn, so we were all directors of a company, we couldn't have somebody at the frontier giving a director's guarantee to all of us because some of you may have been press ganged, you know, with your arm twisted up your back to say the right thing. They will want to speak to you individually, a bit like when you get married, you know, you want to go into this wedding, they speak to the groom, they speak to the bride, a little bit like that, they will do for directors as well. And so you being there, they will want to make sure that you are going into this transaction 100% on your own free will, you understand the implications of a director's guarantee. Now, as a result of that, um, when we were doing one, Karen, my wife, and bear in mind this was a solicitor that I knew, uh, you know, they told us that, and they were saying to me about uh, you know all the all these questions. When they came to Karen, you know, how are things with Andy? Is the relationship all right? Whatever. Oh yeah, I could throttle him at times. You know, I, I'm not sure I'd ever murder him. But that she was joking. But of course, the guy had to write it down. Now we all say things like that, don't we? You understand she was only joking. Of course, I understand she was only joking because she told me about it after. But that's the point I'm trying to make he would have to write that down and say to the lender, oh, actually, she did say that, you know, she had considered murdering her husband, <laughs> you know? We did get the mortgage, it was okay, but the point is, you know, you tell your solicitor everything, of course you do, but be careful what you tell them. Make sure that you do it all in, in the right way. And they are great people, but also, if I can say, to be honest, is it okay to be honest? They're a little bit doom and gloom merchants. 
I know their job is to protect you. So they'll say, oh, this could go wrong, and that could go wrong, and that could go wrong, and you've got to protect this, and this could go wrong. Oh my goodness, the whole world is going to explode, you know. Their job is to do that for you. Your job is to come to training just like this. You know what you want to do and you say to them, yes, thank you very much indeed. I understand what you're saying to me, but I'm going ahead with this because I've got the knowledge of the training I've been given. You are the ones that have got to really elevate yourself to say, yes, thank you for the advice, but I'm happy to go ahead. Okay? And they may say to you, great, will you just sign here to say that we've warned you on it so that then you say, yes, I'm willingly going ahead. Because we live in a litigious world and, you know, if your sister hasn't told you something, then you are the ones who want to blame your solicitor for not doing it. So that's why they do the at-worst scenario with you. You just need to say, yeah, I get all that. I'll sign to say that I understand, but I still want to go ahead. Does that make sense? So think about the relationships you have with all of those people. The other thing is, well, that your mortgage broker will put you with a lender. You obviously need to make sure that your solicitor is on that panel of that lender. But similarly, um, you would need also to make sure, understand that your solicitor, as well as representing you, they are also representing the lender if they're on that panel. So they've got a duty of care to them as well as you. So they're wearing two hats a little bit, and that's why they have to be straight down the middle. So just be a little bit, you know, just bear that in mind when you get onto your team. Now, the one thing you have to bear in mind, and this is huge, really is, if you go to an estate agent, they'll do this. Um, go to a mortgage broker, they'll do this. If you go to your solicitor, they'll do this. They are very big on anti-money laundering. And anti-money laundering is, is obviously a major concern, and they need to know where your source of funds is coming from. And the reason why they do it, and I found this statistic, which is quite amazing, as much as £90 billion of criminal money is laundered through the UK each year. £90 billion. And I was astonished when I saw that, that figure. So consequently, the government, the HMRC, they put a lot of, um, lot of uh, credence on solicitors, estate agents, mortgage brokers to try and filter out where money laundering is, is happening. So it will be a real pain to you when your solicitor asks you for the same things that your mortgage brokers just asked you for. And of course, the estate agents just asked you for. You're thinking, oh my goodness, why do these people talk? Well, because they're not allowed to. They have the duty of care that if one misses it, maybe someone else will pick up on, on things. And from a solicitor point of view, you would never know whether we checked up on you or not. Um, I wouldn't even know that, and I, I'm part of the company. The solicitors, the duty of care, if there's anything they're not sure of, they'll just go and check. And you know, more often than not, everything is absolutely fine, but then it'll come back. It doesn't take long. But these things happen behind the scenes. And I'm just saying that to you because if ever you get tempted, get dragged into this, you will probably get caught. I can't say it every time, but you know, you will probably because the system is there to make sure that anti-money laundering um, is, is there. And the reason why we have to do it, because it's the solicitor that will go to court they, and they will go to jail. And I don't want to end up in jail for helping you in your pro pro property business. None of my colleagues want to do that either. And so what seems to you to be a little bit of pain because you keep having to do all these things, there's a big reason why they want to make that happen. Okay, so let's then talk about money and where money comes from if you're investing in property. Because your solicitor will want to know where your funds have come from. So some of us may have savings and we may be using our own funds. Maybe we're using private loans between people because no matter how much money you've got, if you're investing in property, a lot of us will actually run out of money when the big projects come along. So you probably need to do some private loans uh, to, to get some funds. You may have a business. So maybe you can borrow some money out of your own business if you want to. Or maybe you go to mortgage lenders and 
bridging companies to get your funds. It doesn't matter where you go to, you just need to make sure that people know what the source of funds are. And just because you tell them isn't good enough, they then want to see the evidence as to what you've said is real. Okay, so if you're going to um, a mortgage lender and you would need to be as honest as you can with your mortgage broker to say, look, I want to get 75% funds from the mortgage company, but my 25% is coming from a personal loan that I'm doing with Rick and Lorraine. Now, I've been honest with my mortgage broker. There are loads of lenders out there that will be absolutely fine with that. But if I turn around and pretend it's my own 25%, but I'm really borrowing it from Rick and Lorraine, then they will find that out. He will probably put you with the wrong lender. So be honest with your mortgage broker. I'm getting the funds from somebody else. He will choose a lender that's absolutely cool with that. Let me give you an example. So um, I did a, a property deal. Oh, so let me just come to that deal in, in just a few seconds. The other thing they want to do is an ID check with you. So ID check is that you are who you say you are and that you're not your brother pretending to be you. Because there's all sorts of things that people try to pull off. So they'll look at ID. Um, it's interesting how you do ID checks today. Um, it, it, normally we like to see you in person where we like to see how you look. We like to see your passport or your driver license and some bill that's less than three months old. I get the fact that we're based in Worcester, which is obviously quite ideal if you're close to here but if you lived in you know other parts of, of the country London or the southeast or southwest or wherever um, it might be difficult for you to come to us in the, in the Midlands there are people like the post office counters that you can go into and they have a service that will actually verify that they've seen all the documents and we can take that as proof that you are who you say you are but you will need to go through that process to check that not only is the money yours but actually you are who you say you are so ID checks are the other big thing as well and then your money that you transfer will go into a solicitor client account. Now let me be clear, we have various bank accounts at our solicitor practice, all solicitors are the same. We have a specific one which we operate as a company for, you know, paying our mortgage and paying our gas bill and paying our salaries and paying all of our costs. But we have a completely separate client account which is just for client money. So your money will first of all go into the client account and then we will then, once we're allowed to do it, then we'll use it for various means. Maybe we actually give it to the other side because you're buying a house. Or maybe, you know, now we've done the work, we can take it out of the client account to put it into our office account to then use to pay our wages and our bills. But they are completely separate client accounts. And it's very strictly governed. We're regulated by the SRA, the Solicitors Regulation Authority, and it's very clear what we can and can't do. So just to help you that the money is going to be safe when you go to a solicitor, make sure they are a member of the SRA. They might be member of the CLC, which is a licensed conveyancing system for if you're sort of buying and selling houses, you can use a, a licensed conveyancer if you want to. But the rules and regulations around the SRA are much bigger, much greater, much more protection for you. Um, so, you know, just consider to make sure that they are regulated as, as a person. People do pretend to be solicitors. Okay, we won't suddenly tell you, oh, by the way, uh, here's an email, our bank account has changed, pay it into this new account. If ever that happens, you need to ring us up, you need to make sure that you know the person you're speaking with to make sure that, yes, we have definitely telling you that our bank account has changed because we would never do it in an email. And there's lots of fraudsters out there that will try and take the money off of you. It's your duty of care, it's not our problem, it's yours. If you transfer it somewhere, you need to go, it's going through to the right place. And there's things that solicitors will do to make sure that you know you're going through to the right place. So be a little bit careful if somebody suddenly tells you to transfer funds. It's looking good live, by the way, Andy.
Is it again, sorry? Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, I've got my, my best face on this side. So let me then share with you, if I can, a deal that I did, uh, which was a property that we've got in Kidderminster, which is, we actually bought it when it was in that state. It was uh, just, just being built. And it was a building that then was made into, so this is our building here. The builder also built this one just the side. So a little bit different in that that is six flats. There's actually another two just off the side here. So we've then got eight flats, two, four, six, eight. And so the street scene sort of goes up in a, in a line like that. But he's got eight flats here, we've got eight flats there. And I bought it off this builder because he wanted to keep this, but he'd found his next development project and wanted to sell the Hawthorns quickly. So that's when he found us, we did a deal with him, and I wanted to buy it. And I'm thinking, how much can I buy it for? What's its value going to be? So what I did was a mixture of things. I got an independent Rick's valuation on one of these flats here. It was that one, actually, that I got that went from front to back. But it's not as big as ours. Ours, this one here has got the kitchen in the lounge, whereas ours goes back deeper. We've got a separate kitchen on ours, okay? And so I knew that ours would be valued more than these, but when I went there, I got a valuation here that told me that this property is worth 99,000 pounds. Let's call it 100 grand, it just makes the math easier to work out. So I knew that one of these here was worth 100 grand, so if I've got eight, in theory, I've got 800,000 pounds worth of value in that property. So what I then did was I then uh, got it built out, we then staged it well, and we then, got it revalued, and so at the value, we used bridging funds to, I bought it by the way at 500,000. Okay, so it was worth 800, I bought it at 500. So we had some of our own funds, but also some investor funds, and we got a bridging loan on it. So the bridging and the private loans then gave us the uh, 500,000 that, that we wanted. We then got a mortgage on it to repay back all those loans and the bridging funds. So bought it for 500, Somebody, my clicker isn't working. We refinanced it at 720,000. We then had a mortgage of 540. So you can see that that then gave us back all of our funds, which means that the return on investment on that particular property is infinite because there's none of our money tied up in that deal. Do you see how that works? But I was upfront and honest with everyone every stage of the way. So the bridging company knew that I was using other people's money as well as my deposit. They had no problems with that. The only thing was they didn't allow me to put a second charge on it because they wanted the first charge. So I used lenders who lent me money knowing that I couldn't give them a second charge. There are other ways we were able to get around it, but everyone knew what was going on. But of course I was able to give them a good return on their investment for their money, thank, thank you. Uh, because uh, there was enough money in it for me to pay them that good money. So there's a case study as to how working with the right people, you absolutely could do property deals, you just need to make sure that everyone knows what's going on, okay? And of course the great thing is that the value goes up. The other interesting thing though was that I had eight flats that all came on the market to rent at the same time. That's a problem because if you've got one or two on the market then that's okay because of one or two, but if you've got a block of eight, the value of the rent absolutely goes down. So I started off, I can't remember now, but sort of like 550, that didn't work. I had 525 and they didn't rent out of that. They went down to 500, that didn't work. We got down to 475 and they went overnight.
So that was great because I needed to show that I'd got them all rented out in order to get my remortgage. I needed enough rental aid, so they all need to be rented and I needed enough rent to demonstrate that I could afford the, the mortgage. And then what we did is somebody moved out of those flats, which they do after a while, some stay for six months, some stay for 12 months and so on. I was then able to increase the rent. So we're now getting much more rent than that 475, but it's important that I got them rented out quickly overnight in order to be able to remortgage it. And we're now up to about 550, 560 or something in, in those flats, creeping them up by 10 pounds, 15 pounds, five pounds, you know, as, as, the, as each tenant moves out. And so, you know, that's really another way that you can get in increasing value, the mortgage is the same, but our rent is going up, so we're making a lot more profit on that property. So let's then look at roles that your solicitor can offer for you. And there's various roles, and this is not necessarily all of the list, but some of the things that they can do for you, of course, is buying and selling of houses, the conveyancing uh, that you want to do. Of course, the big thing is today that could be residential, but a lot of us do commercial to residential as well. So it's actually get a solicitor that can look after the commercial side of things because they can't all do both of those. Obviously, going to auctions is a great way of sourcing property. It's an interesting one going to an auction because there's an auction pack that you will see before when the hammer drops, you're deemed to know what you're doing, that you've read through everything and that you have bought that property and you have to exchange on the night and you have to complete within a certain time frame, normally 28 days later, so four weeks later. It can be less than that though, by the way, um, but normally 28 days where you have to then get the full funds. So it may well help you to go to a solicitor to look at the auction pack for you to make sure things are fine. Again, I'm here to be very honest with you. You know, I, I want to help you with business if that's it, but I'm not about you spending money if you don't need to. You know, read through the auction pack. A lot of them are actually self-explanatory. If there's something on that you don't understand, get advice from a solicitor because you have to know what, what you're buying. But I wouldn't necessarily spend the money just if I didn't have to. I'm being honest with you again. So the more you do these, the more you'll understand what the terms and conditions are. Yes, you should get the advice from the solicitor, but the more you get the knowledge and the understanding, if this is your strategy to go to auctions to buy property, you will understand the language and you'll get tuned into it and you will know what you're doing, but there is an element of risk which you can pass off to the solicitor if you want to do that. Option agreements. Now, this is a great way of getting properties. And it's quite an interesting thing because not every solicitor understands how to do a purchase lease option. A lot of solicitors will be used to doing options, but not in the way that we do it. So they'll be used to the farmer's field that Mr. Tesco wants to take a hold over because he plans one day as the city expands, he wants to put his superstore there to, for us all to go shopping one day. Or maybe it's Mr. I don't know, Bovis Homes or Red Row Homes that are taking an option on a field for let's say a thousand pounds, it may be varying amounts, but thousand pounds, because he hopes one day to get planning permission to build houses on it. That's an option. Lots of solicitors know how to do that, but they don't understand how to do a purchase lease option the way that we would want to do it of taking somebody's house and then renting it out to other people it's actually only a few solicitors that, that will get it so make sure that you go to the solicitor that understands how to do that kind of thing and there's a property that we took on an option agreement uh, this one here it looked a little bit tired when we took it on but interestingly I actually bought it for market value it's 2012 it's on the market uh, the value, it was actually a distressed sale. The lady was about to have it snatched back and she contacted me and I actually didn't buy it below market value. I agreed on an option to give her the market value of 86,000 pounds. Now, 
it needed some money spending on it and I need to spend six or seven thousand pounds on it. So I agreed my option at 79,000 because I needed to get my money back. So I actually paid market value less the cost of repairs because it wasn't worth market value. I gave her 79,000 for it. And here's the reason why I did it is because now today I'm just about to remortgage that one. Its value is now 140,000 pounds. So then the 2012 market value is today's below market value. And I'm just about to refinance it and I'll get all of my money out of it. And the lady's happy. She actually gets some money out of the transaction too. And I get, get some money out of it. And I want to keep the property as a great one. It rents really, really, really well. So that's an option agreement that I use and an and, and example as to how you can make that happen. Rent-to-rent -rent agreements, of course, is the other side of things where you acquire a property for, let's say, £500 a month as a whole house, and then you rent it out per room in very much the same way as you would an HMO, but you haven't had to buy the property. And so you then have, let's say, six rooms, making you three grand a month income coming in. You take off the cost of the 500 mortgage or the, the sort of renting bit that you give to the owner of the property. You take off your bills, probably, and then the bit left over is what your profit is. So, you know, getting rent-to-rent -rent agreements, not every Every sister will understand how to make that happen, so make sure that um, you choose the right people for that. Here's a great one, freehold to leasehold title splits. Let me take you back to the Hawthorns. So I owned the whole block as a freehold, where I got the value, because that, that was worth £500,000. The value was in the, each individual flat being worth £100,000 each. So £800,000 value comes by me splitting the title, the freehold title, into eight individual leases. And so we can take a product like that and split it up for you. Solicitors can do that to get a real value out of it. That's called freehold to leasehold title splitting. There's another property that I did here in Worcester, uh, which is just simply two flats. So it's a one bed flat downstairs. There's its door there. This door here goes in upstairs into a two bedroom flat upstairs. And I bought this property. It was at auction. I went to the auction. I didn't buy it at auction because it was too much. Its guide price was between 170 and 180. So I didn't know what the guide, what the what the selling price was, but I figured out they probably wanted 175 for it. It didn't sell at auction. I bought it outside of the auction for 135,000. So you know, well below market value, but it was actually a company selling it. There's some factories nearby and they own this because they had some staff staying there. So they weren't emotionally attached to it and they were just happy to sell it at 135,000. We spent some money doing it up. We spent 15,000, so 135 plus the 15 means it owes me 150,000 pounds. We then got it remortgaged as separate leases. Okay, so the one bedroom flat downstairs got 95,000. The bedroom, the two bedroom upstairs got 105,000. So add those together, that gave me 200,000 pounds. <coughs> I was then able to get a 75% loan to value mortgage, which gave me back out my 150,000. So I paid off all the old mortgages, got all of our money back. I've got a property now with 50,000 pounds worth of income and none of our money left in the deal. So freehold to leasehold title splits really work well if you can get them to make them happen. Does that make sense? If I explain that yeah. as to how you can do it? That looks identical to all the properties that we've got on there. This one here? No, no, or, no, that, that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that one's in Kidderminster. I think yours is in Worcester, Malvin, isn't it? Oh, yours is in Malvin, yeah. We've extended, yeah. well, so we've extended. So this bit here is now um, a washroom, linen cupboard, boiler room, etc. And then we go into the garden just to look at there. Yeah. See, I can add value to that. Look, I can extend it and do the Absolutely. same as you do in Malvin. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> it's good pay to come to these kind of meetings, doesn't it? <laughs> So commercial residential is the other big thing at the moment where you know, you're allowed now by permitted 
development. And obviously, there are certain rights. You have to obviously get the right regulations in, in place. But you can, in effect, take offices or certain buildings and make them into residential. And the reason why this works so well is that the cost per square foot of commercial is a lot less money than you can get as the value of the cost per square foot for it being residential. And so lots of us now are taking buildings and we're splitting them up into, into separate flats. And then we are then doing, in effect, a title split or we're selling them off in just the, the same way as I've, I've been talking. But it's called commercial to residential. That's another great strategy. Joint venture agreements. This is great. Now, it's quite interesting because I think joint venture agreements, in theory, are a complete waste of money until things have gone wrong. And then you'll be so glad that you had a joint venture agreement in place. Because well, when we're all excited, we've got this property deal and everything's fine. Yeah, we're into this, we're all doing this, that and the other. Everything is great. But you know, in any property transaction, there are good times and there are times when it's not quite so good. I'm sure Rick and Lorraine have, have told you about those. And so that's when partners fall out in deals and you're glad you get out your piece of paper that says, right, this is what you're, you said that you would do and this is what I said I would do. We've got to stick to the agreement to see this through. And so getting a proper joint venture agreement is money well spent. And it depends as to the level you want to do it. So you could do your own joint venture agreement if you want to. A simple piece of paper where you write it down, you both sign it, is perfectly fine to do as a JV agreement. But I wouldn't mind betting you won't go into the depth that the solicitor will do for you. And you have to make a judgment call. What do we do? The solicitor will be looking at things of saying, okay, this is fine. What happens though if one of you dies? Oh, well, it goes to my family, my state. Okay, well, does your family or your state want to take on half ownership of this property? Are they capable of doing it? And by the way, does the other side of the joint venture partner, do they want to work with their, the rest of their family? Because that might be their worst nightmare. So the solicitor will help you to think about lots of other things in a joint venture agreement that you need to consider to try and make things work. And everyone always jokes, oh yeah, you know, they just have loads of pieces of paper because that's how they justify the fee. Well, I get that. It's a bit of a giggle. I understand. But it's because they want to try and dot every I and cross every T for you that it becomes bigger and there's a, obviously a higher cost for it. So you don't have to use them. I'm just suggesting that you might want to, certainly on a big deal, you know, where there's a lot at stake. You know, can I use somebody else's option agreement? Anybody in this room got one I, I, I can borrow? Well, I get why you'd want to do that. But... Just think about it in a slightly different way. Yes, you might be saving 500 quid, maybe a thousand pounds. I get it. But how much is this option agreement worth to you? That property there that I bought at 79,000 pounds is now worth 140,000 pounds. How much has that made me over that time? And that's an increase in price. But don't forget, I've been making good cash flow every single month out of that property. So it's made me thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds over the years, why would I have not spent a thousand pounds at the start to get the right agreement in, in place? You know, I just don't get it. Why we try to do it on a cheap scale for the sake of actually spending a thousand pounds to know that a solicitor is doing it properly. On an option agreement, I would always say to you, do it with a solicitor and get the other side to have a solicitor as well. Because options might be seen to be a little bit contentious. You know, my lady here, she had a problem, she would have the house snatched back and I got her out of that problem, I paid off all of her arrears, I refurbished the whole house that she couldn't afford to do and I saved her from getting a, a black mark. But now it's worth 140000 and all of those problems have gone away, they were years ago, all of a sudden she can say, well, I think I've been ripped off here Andy and I'm going to take you to court so I'm going to make sure that, you know, so I can get my own house back. Well. I've actually got evidence of what it was worth when I bought it, because I bought it at market value. I had a Rick's valuation done to prove I was giving her a good value for it then. 
my bonus is it's gone up in value and of course I've been spending money on it and I've been paying her mortgage every single month. I've got a good case when I go to a solicitor and then go to court because I did it properly on this agreement. And the judge then will say, well, actually, Andy, you took the right advice, but actually, uh, Mrs. Seller, you also had the right advice at the time through a separate solicitor, so you can't deny that you didn't know what was going on. I don't know how a judge will rule on the day because it depends which side of bed that they get out of. But you understand the point I'm trying to say, you know, the chances are I've got a strong case that I will win that case. If I don't win it, well, okay, I don't get my increase in value, but I've had great profit every single month. So I'm not in negative equity at, at, at all. It still was a fantastic deal for me, but I know if you do it the right way using solicitors on both sides, it stacks all the evidence in your favor to make sure that if it went to court that you would probably win. I don't know of any that have gone to court, if I'm honest with you. So I can't speak from that side, but I, you know, I just want to mitigate uh, any, sort of minimize any risk. And that's how I minimize mine. So make sure that you speak to a solicitor on your side, but get them to have one as well. Limited company formations. Your solicitor is great at helping you with that as well. Now you can do this on your own, if I'm honest. You don't need a solicitor to, to do this for you. If you can do it, and you don't have to, you know, once you've done one, it's really easy. But you can go to um, Companies House Online. I think it costs about 12 quid or something like that to, to sort of set up a company. You've got to be careful on the name you want to call your company, but it gives you lots of guidance of what you can't call it. And then you submit it, and then somebody checks it to make sure that you can have that particular name. It can't be a name that somebody else has got. You can't be trying to rip off somebody else's name. Uh, you know, to sort of make it sound as if it's yours. Um, but, but, you know, as long as you follow some simple rules, you can set up your own limited company. If you don't want to do it, your accountant can do it for you as well. But I'm also helping you that your solicitor could also set that up. One of the other things, though, that they can help you with is the shareholders agreement. Because you will have shareholders as part of that limited company. And again, just like a joint venture agreement, you have to understand who's responsible for what, what the shareholding is, what that means, what happens if one of you decides to sell up the company or to sell your shares, how you're going to move it on. So this sister can help you with that side of things is worth considering. We can also help you with HR matters. So we start off here as separate people. We then form a limited company because of tax reasons, that makes sense. And now because we've got a limited company, we decide to expand and maybe we take on some staff to do some stuff for us. And then maybe they decide to have a duvet day, they don't come into work. You know, what happens then? Can I sack them or whatever? No, you can give us a bell and say, look, I've got this problem. Uh, what, what would I do here? We can give you some advice on those kinds of things. So in a way, you've got your own HR department working in your own company. We have a system that we, we can help you with that as well. Wills and lasting power of attorney, fantastic thing that you ought to think about. You know, we all do this for a reason, I hope. Maybe that's the legacy that you want to pass on to future generations. And so you need to make sure you've got the right paperwork in place that enables that to happen. A lot of us think, well, don't worry, it'll happen naturally, won't it? Well, it doesn't. And the law is very clear as to how you've got to do things in a very structured way. So yes, you can go to WH Smith's and buy your own will if you want to. That works perfectly fine, it's very legal. But there are other things to consider to maybe protect your children. Or maybe, you know, families fall out and people split up. What happens in that scenario? And then, and then that person remarries and then your kid's inheritance then goes to this stranger's a new partner that you didn't even know. There's all sorts of complications with it. You know, the world gets a little bit tangled in that way. Some solicitors obviously can help you to make sure that you tie it up in, in the right way for you to make sure that it goes to the people you want it to go to. Disputes. 
that's another way that your solicitor can help. Maybe that's the fact that your, your um, tenant isn't playing, or maybe it's the fact that your JV partner isn't sort of doing what they want to do. You know, try and resolve things away from solicitors because they will cost you money. You know, I always say to people, Look, why don't you just pick up the phone and call, talk to them? You know, it's going to cost you several thousand pounds to go through the, through the courts. So why not write off a little bit of that money, but come to some kind of agreement with the other side and just walk away and separate it out? But if it gets beyond that, solicitors obviously are the right people to go to to get the, uh, the right advice as to what you can and, and can't do. Debt collections. It's funny, I'm talking about disputes. Did you see that story in the press about the guy who got the speeding fine? Do you see that? Where um, it was 35 miles an hour driving in the 30 mile hour zone, £100 fine. And he contested it. He went to court, spent £30,000 and lost. You know, it would have been much cheaper. It was a guy in Worcester, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, 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 not me, not me at all. <clears throat> wasn't me. Um, but, you know, the fact is he could have spent £100 on principle. He obviously felt he had a very good case, but his inheritance has been spent, you know, because he's now obviously, you know, he thought he would win it. And that's the thing, that's what I'm trying to say. He could have gone to a driver improvement. He could have gone, well, I know he could have done. You know, but sometimes on principle, we dig our heels in. No, 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 this is wrong. I need to make a principle in a point. You know, and we all get like it. Let's, let's be honest, I'm just trying to say to you, Think about the bigger picture. Let's, it's not worth the time and energy. Maybe just lose a little bit of money, but write it off and move on. But if you need to go to solicitors and you're going to court, yeah, I would take the right advice, because doing it on your own, you're probably going to do it a little bit wrong. Um, but chasing money is a good thing. Issue of Section 8 and Section 21. Again, you know, it is possible to do that on your own if you want to, but there's certain things that you need to know, and Rick is great at teaching you all this kind of stuff, but your solicitor could also help you with that side if you, you want do, to. You do evictions as well, Andy? We could do evictions yeah. as well. Absolutely. We've done it for me. It worked really, really well. Now, I know it's my own firm. Let me just actually say, it is my own firm, but I actually do still pay the money because I have to. And the other thing is I'm also regulated by the SRA, so I'm not a lawyer, but I still have to be regulated by them. And because I work for the company because I own the company, then they have to be doubly and trebly and quadruply sure that they're not doing things for me that are a little bit under the carpet. So in a way, everything for me is exposed big time. There's big red stars on my file to say, look, this is a bit of a problem. And this SRA can come in at any time and check all of my files. So I do have to pay good money to get my solicitor work done, just so it's clear. I don't get my, my stuff for free. What I do get for free, I suppose, is that I can bring up the phone anytime to Andrew and Bradley or any other guys and I can get some free advice, I, I guess. But transactions that we're doing, absolutely I have to pay for it. Uh, and they did help me to evict somebody from it. Uh, this is a big one, trademark of logos and strap lines. You know, if you're gonna to start to have a big company and someone's gonna be very successful at what, what, what we're wanting to do, you want to make sure that other people can't then pretend to be you in their company. And so by trademarking your logo, your strap lines or, or your company brand, uh, is actually something you may want to consider doing because it's a very useful thing just to have that little TM after it, uh, you know, after your little logo, because it makes you think, oh, actually, not many people do that. That sort of elevates you as a sort of a company, as a certain size of, of, of business. And if you were trying to compare two businesses and one had a trademark that was a logo that was trademarked, you may well think, I'm going to choose that company out, out of the two. So think about those things as well. And there's so many other things that sister can, can help you with too along the way. But you've got to remember that lawyers are not all the same. They don't all get, they don't all understand what we're wanting to have. Don't assume that they do. And here's the problem that, that, that we have. If you go to your lawyer and say, I want to do a purchase lease option, and they say, that sounds a bit too risky. I'm not quite sure that's legal. 
most of us, not necessarily in this room, but most of us outside would say, oh my God, I definitely can't get involved in this. So be very careful if that solicitor that's going to is your tenant, or so the person you're buying the house from, and they're saying, that sounds a bit dodgy, don't get involved with that, they will believe the solicitor. Now, there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, they are perfectly legal if they're done in the right way. And so therefore, you need to make sure you go to the right people to get and understand what, what we're talking about here. The other side of it though, is that the solicitor that do, does get and understand what this is all about are representing the other side, they're not representing you. So you can't talk to the other side solicitor. The advice they give to them is looking after their best interest, which is maybe different to what you believe your best interest is. So you could, yes, by all means recommend a solicitor that they use that do get and understand what you're wanting to achieve, but just because you may be paying for their solicitor fees doesn't mean to say that that solicitor has, you have any hold over them. They are completely independent, completely separate, and they'll give the right advice to that client. If that client decides not to go ahead, then the, the deal's off, unless you can renegotiate it. And that's happened several times to me as well. Okay, where I've had to just write off the solicitor fees, I've gone so far down, I just dust myself off and get out there and I get another property deal, which I can make thousands of profit out of it. So don't get hung up on the small stuff. Sometimes deals go wrong, sometimes they've cost you money. That is just something you write off against tax. Okay, don't, don't lose any sleep over it. It's not worth it, just get on with doing the next deal. Are there any questions based on what we've talked there or maybe you've got other things you want to talk through? Happy to help you, any way, shape so I can. You've got your, obviously, like your interest agreements and things like that, obviously you've got to pay and get that. <clears throat> what we get from yourself sort of thing, is that a standard version that then we can use for each and every other property, or you have to have one specific? Probably, property? probably. Let me just explain what I mean by that. Certain agreements, yes, I think you can do that. Certain ones, I probably wouldn't want to do that. Clearly a JV agreement, well, they're probably going to be a little bit bespoke because each deal will be slightly different. So maybe that doesn't work. I think if you did a rent-to-rent -rent agreement, that absolutely could be done. So we want you to come to us and get one set up. Just tell us what you want to do. This is the bit I said about communicating. So if you tell us, look, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do lots of rent-to-rents. Will you set me up with my own bespoke management agreement that I can then use next time for the next deal, next time for the next deal? We will happily do that for you with our consent. And we will then when we come to focus, there's little things we put in it that we know it's our documents. I won't go into that detail, but a little sort of traceability. And so we know when you've actually passed it on to somebody else that wasn't our, our client. But if it's you that's using it, absolutely fine. We don't have a problem with it. Okay. And so, yes, a management agreement, which is only just changed in the name and address of the new property, whatever, that's absolutely fine. But if it's a much different deal, it's still a rent to rent, but a different deal to the one you originally set up, you may want to come back to it again to do another document for you. So, yes, if they're similar, you can use the same document. But if they're going to be a little bit different or you're not sure how to fill it up, I would recommend coming back to us to actually get another one. Because it's that bit I said to you, how much did the deal work to you, worth to you? If it's thousands and thousands of pounds over time, why scrimp on a little bit of money that's actually going to make you a lot of money? Okay, um, so be a little so bit careful with that. PI insurance, Andy. So if, if people are using the same agreement that was kind of only commissioned for the first one, would the PI cover carry the second one? Well, it will be if we know about it. So from, from your point of view, the professional indemnity insurance from our side is we know what the document was that we gave to you. We obviously want to see the evidence. Someone is claiming against something that we've done in incorrectly. We will want to see evidence of that document. Otherwise, we wouldn't believe them. You can't just say, you know, this is wrong. We need to see evidence. Well, we know what, what we gave you. If it's changed, that's completely down to you. 
that wouldn't be down to us. So that's why we're saying, tell us up front so that we can put the mechanism in place that will protect that document and it's used because we know you're going to be changing certain things on it. But you can't just change it and then get all far away from the original agreement that we gave and then pretend it's our fault that things have gone wrong. Because yeah. we obviously got a way of tracking back to us. So it's just not worth going there. Okay. Did you have like a generic price list, like a menu? You know, or is it just price per job? Well, yeah, so, so we don't actually have a price list because each one is a little bit bespoke, but I can tell you some rough costs. And what we also guarantee to you is that we will give you a fixed price for what we're doing. There's a little caveat on it because sometimes we give you a fixed price for what we know should be to do that job. Sometimes though, things will evolve from the job that you and I just couldn't have known about. And clearly we can't do it then absolutely everything in with that fixed price. We would then have a little clause that says, no, this is what we're gonna do for you within that fixed price. And we will make all that happen. And that's just the price that, that you pay. The little caveat says, but there's anything else outside of that we need to talk. And if there's something else comes up, we'll say, oh, actually that's a bit of a problem. We didn't know about that. At the start this is what the extra is going to be are you happy with that yeah yeah that's yeah, fine so we still agree the price so it's sort of fixed but there's a little caveat just in case there's things you didn't know about to tell us and we didn't know about to tell you about because we didn't know it was there so an option agreement roughly about 950 something like that a management agreement maybe about 600 750 something like that they're a little bit different but that's sort of plus obviously there's plus fat but you maybe be able to claim that that back um what other documents are there? Buying, selling of houses. Uh, that depends on the value of the house. So they will start a lot less than that. Buying, selling of a house might start about 500 for the lower price houses. Will then come through because it goes on a price band of the value of, of the properties. So maybe in our neck of the world, it'd be sort of lesser prices. London prices might be a little bit more than that. Um, the other thing to think about is if you buy through a limited company. Now, this is a big thing. So yes, you know, convincing on a residential property might be six or 700 pounds, let's say. 750, 800. Buying through a limited company is likely to be two and a half grand. And everyone says, whoa, hang on a second. That's my solicitor ripping me off because they know I'm a limited company, not a private person. Remember what I said earlier, when as director of the company, you need to have separate representation for each of those directors. You have to pay for that. And so that's why it becomes a lot more expensive to buy through a limited company because of the guarantees we have to give to each of the directors. And there's a lot more paperwork we have to do by putting a limited company on, on the documents and those kinds of things and registration stuff. Okay, so that's sort of a rough idea as to the fees. But if you come to us, we will quote you on, on a price. If you were doing an option, maybe you're taking a landlord's portfolio off them and you've got five or six options coming in at the same time, we won't charge you five times the price. We will do a, a, a deal on it because we're very commercial. We actually get it. You know, it's not a copy and paste every time. There's actually lots of stuff we have to do. But similarly, we don't have to redo the whole document every time. So we're happy to take a commercial view on that. I can't speak for all solicitors, of, of course, but we are happily sort of take a bit of a shout and say, well, actually, let's do a bit of a deal with you and, and make, make this happen. And you'll say, yeah, yeah, it's fine. But if you don't want to take our quote, that's ab absolutely fine. The only one thing I would say is that we would rather represent you as the property investor that's going out there to do lots of deals because we are all about relationships as well, like I shared with you earlier. We get to know one another, you get to know us, we really work closely. If you want us to be representing the other side, A, that makes it very difficult because I can't then really help you. You can't text me and say, Andy, the other side aren't doing this, that, and the other, because I have to say, sorry, I'm a bit conflicted on this because you're, that's a different solicitor. Are you with me? No, if we're representing them, you've got your own solicitor. You need to go through them. You can't come to me because we're representing the other side and we are very good at what we do. 
and I'd rather be very good for you rather than being very good for the other side that's absolutely looking at your doc and making sure you've dotted all the I's or your solicitor has dotted all the I's and crossed the T's because we are representing them. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So we would much rather look after you because you, you know, it's just a grown-up world. We are representing either you or them let's say, and I can't talk to you if we're representing them. So I would much rather talk to you and come to these kinds of things to help you with your property portfolio and let's grow together to make things happen, if that makes sense. What timescale are we looking at from? So Fantastic question. Rent to rent agreement. It depends really, obviously, on how we're fixed. I don't have solicitors. They are paid really, really well. I don't have them sat there just twiddling the thumbs thinking it's a phone ring. Oh, great, phone. Yeah, I'll do that straight away. I have to keep them busy to pay their, their, their wage. But having said that, our backup has backup. Not all sisters have that. So if somebody's on holiday or they're ill, I will have somebody else that should be able to do the documents for you. So um, if it's an urgent thing, this has just come through. If I don't do the deal by tomorrow, the deal's off. We tell us that and we may be able to do it by tomorrow. You might have to pay a little bit extra for that. You may have to pay more for it, but I can't guarantee that because it depends on what work we've got on. But if you understand, actually, Andy, I know it's normally a thousand pounds, but I'm happy to pay you and I'm making up the price. I'm happy to pay you three thousand pounds if you can do it by tomorrow. Then, you know, we'll be a little bit commercial on it and you think, what can we do? Do you get me with it? Yes. Well, you've got access to me. You don't necessarily get me. Uh, a little bit different. I don't work there day to day, by the way. Um, so you can ring there and then obviously we'll take a message. But I, you would never find me there because I'm out and about doing things like this and, and speaking on, on, on the circuit, those kinds of things. Um, but I've got a great team there that will help you. So, but normally, this is just a normal thing. Uh, an option agreement might take seven to ten days. Uh, management agreement might take a similar amount of time as well. To a certain extent, we can only be as good as the other side. So it's all very well us doing things on a speedy basis by tomorrow night. But if the other solicitor that's involved can't actually respond within that time frame, then we can't possibly do it. So, you know, we can only control the things that we can control. If we're buying and selling a house, you need searches doing. Searches can take normally two weeks. I had one that took six months and I couldn't get my mortgage because the search hadn't come back. And my mortgage offer was in danger of running out. And my valuation on the property was in danger of running out. But there's nothing I could do because the searches hadn't come back. I tried to get the insurance policy to, you know, against it going wrong. The mortgage lender wouldn't allow me to do that. In the end, I wrote to the managing director of the district council. Uh, so not managing director, the sort of CEO, the, the, the top person. And said, look, are you aware of what's going on within your, your council? Because your team can't get this done for six months. And I'm in danger of losing this property deal for X, Y, Z. That's going to cost me X amount of money. I think you need to sort it. It was fixed within a, a day. And actually, he got his team then to drop everything to fix my, my problem. But I'm just saying that was one of those extremes. That I've not in my control as a solicitor company. You know, you just have to go with the flow. Okay. The other thing as well, and this is important from a solicitor perspective, the solicitor represents you and the solicitor represents the other side, a completely separate solicitor. Your solicitor looks after your best interest. If you haven't got the funds it, or something else is going on in your world, you can tell us that privately, but we won't suddenly write to the other side and say, oh, by the way, they don't want to complete just yet because the so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so gone. They haven't quite got, got the money because that might mean that you lose the deal. But we might go back to the other side saying, oh, by the way, my client's got some more questions. Will you answer these other questions, please? So it's a delaying tactic to look enough to you. 
If you've ever been on the other side of that, that's one of the most frustrating things ever, because you think, why did you ask me that in the first place? I could have told you all this stuff. You're delaying things. Well, they're doing it to help their, their clients. The solicitor gets all the stick, because the solicitor should have sent it out at the very start, but they're just trying to help their clients. And they get a lot of bad PR for the wrong reasons, you know, the solicitor only gets paid, the money only comes out of the client's account, into the office account to be used, when the deal has gone through. So it's not in our interest to delay anything further than where it has to be delayed because of part of that, that process. And so the solicitor will be on your side to make things happen. We have targets, we have to hit goals every single month, I keep pushing the company, we want to get things through quickly. Okay, and especially coming towards the end of the month, like any business, any company, we will want to do things on a timely basis. Believe me, I've got them pushing to get things through. How can we do it? What's the hold up here? What can we do to make sure that this is going through? Because it helps you, but it also helps us as, as a business also. Great questions. Any more questions? Um, no, that was an option agreement, and, and I don't really held on that price. I'm just trying to give you a guide. You know, it will vary on what what you want to do. Uh, a rent to rent agreement is probably going to be about six, seven hundred quid, maybe seven fifty, something like that. It's, it's it's a lesser document on it. Options got a lot more on them. Uh, we have to put restrictions and things like, like like that on an option as well. There's a lot more in it on there. What's your thoughts on the documents on like an uh, LA website and stuff like that for ASTs and things? I love it. I actually use those. Yeah. Uh, you can go to a solicitor for that if you want to. I don't do that. I, I believe and trust that the NLA will have the most up-to-date document because they are a national, you know, they are representing us all nationally. And they're both, you've all heard the news that maybe the NLA and the RLA are going to join up. Yeah, I know it's right. got to be sanctioned yet with, with shares and everything, but you know, that, that would be a good thing because there's a little bit two people doing the same thing there. Um, but I actually like those. I go online, I use their their documents on the ones that we look after. If I'm using a letting agent, I will probably use the letting agent's document and we'll put some extra caveats in, in it with the letting agent. But the great thing about NLA online is that you can put your own little clauses on the end as well. And we do that because we do look after some of our own properties. So I love it. I, th I think, you no, know, that's fine. I wouldn't necessarily go to some of the other portals. I know for me, and, and I'm not saying don't, just for me, I trust the NLA website. Um, it's a lot less. We use the NLA for doing inventories as well. And they are very good at going out there, taking photos, doing things on a very timely basis, cost about 80 quid, you know, but that's just not worth our time to go and do it on our own. And we've then got a trusted source we can come back to if there's any problems with those properties. So I use the NLA website a lot. Great question. Any more? Just, probably not as relevant to some of these questions, but the, the trademark you just mentioned, yeah. trademark in your logo, super important or... Uh, it's not super important. It depends on your vision for where you want to go. If you've got something that you say, actually, this could become huge, okay, and you want to, you've got a long-term vision for it, then lots of people will try to copy what you're doing if you've got a successful formula, okay? And so you may want to protect that to make sure that people then don't do the rip-off version of you. Yeah, we've just got it. We're pretty cheaply at Logo, which I paid for online. But like, okay, it was like, literally, it was 20 quid. So it came back. Oh, great. That's fine. You might want a trademark, yeah, you know. <laughs> you, you might want to register that. You have a trademark. So go, right, how much is that going to cost me? And he was like, 150, 160 quid. I said, mate, I haven't even done a deal yet. You, you, know, yeah. you weren't getting a decent trademark for 150 quid. Yeah, no, but well, it was just no. It's just talking about you know, sort of protecting it and whatever other site. Was it one of those relatively cheap logo sites that yeah. you go on to? Yeah, you yeah. type on. Well, don't forget that they give all of those templates out to all of us, yeah. and we just choose the one that we want. So you might we might see your template, but with a different company on yeah, it. Sorry. 
Right. So you can't really. Nobody's ever never had any issues. You know? Yeah. You know, to trademark just in one country for maybe five different industries, you're looking at about eight hundred to a thousand quid. Just in one country, not in every industry. Right. It's really just, expensive. We just trademark go tenant. Yeah. It's just like there's no news way down. I wouldn't have thought so, yeah. if I'm honest with you. Okay. Save save the money. But if you've got this vision, this goal, it's going to be really huge, then maybe protecting it now you know, is, is, is going to help you with that. Protect the IP that you've got. It's intellectual property. So I hope you found that very, very useful. Thanks for allowing me to be here. See you soon. Thank you, guys.